Welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then rank them from best to worst. My name's Sarah. And I'm Ben. Thanks for listening to us today. How are you doing, Ben? Uh, I'm doing alright today, Sarah. Um, it's a little, little like overcast today and it's making it a little dim in the apartment, but uh, otherwise everything's fine. How about yourself? I'm very happy today. Because I didn't have to do any research. (laughs) Gosh, we're watching something a little weird this week, Sarah. (laughs) What is it? We're watching Dracula from 1931, released by Universal Studios. This is the Spanish-language version of Dracula, commonly referred to as Spanish Dracula. It's not quite a remake, but it's, it's more than just like a dubbed or subtitled version of the film for a foreign market. Like, it's it's kind of a weird thing to try and explain. So is this weird amorphous factor the reason why we're watching this rather than, like, watching the other language versions of other horror movies? Because that was a question I did have. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's a little hard to explain, but I'll, I'll certainly try my best. Go for it. Um, now, you mentioned that you didn't do any research this week, and I, I should say, I guess, at the top of the show here, if you want to learn about Dracula and Bram Stoker and why Universal Studios made a Dracula film in 1931 and the Bela Lugosi Dracula and all that, that was all in last week's episode. <laughs> you can find that episode at screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. Mm-hmm. So what this is, is this is a... Spanish-language version of Dracula that is an entirely separate film. Nowadays, like, if, if you watch a movie that's from another country, you're either going to see it dubbed, where it's the same movie, but they've gotten some people who speak your language to voice over it, or you're going to see it subtitled. In 1931, those processes didn't really exist yet. In the early days of sound film, the question of how foreign releases were going to be handled emerged and no one was quite sure what to do with it. In the silent days, this was really easy. You just swapped out the intertitles <laughs> and you had a foreign version. In fact, there was a lot of talk in the 1920s about how film was going to bring about world peace because it was a universal language uh, that everyone could understand. Question related to that. Yeah. For movies like The Cabinet of Caligari, mm-hmm. of Dr. Caligari, where the intertitles had such unique fonts. Mm-hmm. The, those usually wouldn't translate. Okay, like, so they would just like insert in whatever language just like a regular title card? They wouldn't try to do the unique writings? It, it depended on the production. Like, you could certainly see that there are some examples of films where they tried their best to do that, but like a lot didn't. Like, if you watch those films on DVD now, a lot of the DVD releases, when they give you an English intertitle option, will have intertitles that are in the exact same style. Uh, But that's because the DVD company's done a really good job. Uh, The original releases, they just stick on some Times New Roman font shit uh, in (laughs) in the local language. As with all things, I guess it comes down to how much money you're willing to spend. Yeah, money and effort, for sure. And especially to, like, do a good job promoting some other country's film, Mm -hmm. right? But yeah, sound film kind of threw that for a loop. Uh, You couldn't just swap out intertitles anymore. Uh, foreign markets, of course, were still hugely important, uh, then as now, to the success of any film's release. So the solution that Hollywood came to was something called the Multiple Language Version, or MLV. And MLVs were very common between 1929 and 1935, and then they just kind of stopped being a thing, uh, which is why they're not really talked about anymore. The idea behind MLVs was that multiple versions of the film would be shot. Most commonly, a English, French, German, Italian, and Spanish version. Although this commonly meant using a different cast and crew entirely, uh, the costumes and sets would remain consistent across the versions uh, to save money. And polyglot actors like Marlena Dietrich or Greta Garbo 
would appear in multiple versions of the same film. Often the primary language version kind of was the one that would gain the most critical attention, and at the time, MLVs were often sort of just considered to be uh, lesser products, uh, just kind of pale imitations being churned out on a industrial basis. They usually weren't directed by the same person as the primary version, and, you know, the cast wouldn't quite be up to the same level of stardom or experience. Uh, they were really just designed so that they could sell these films in other markets. Uh, the practice was really widespread, but despite that, these MLVs were often very poorly preserved uh, because they weren't very highly thought of. Uh, so these days, most MLVs are lost. Uh, we just don't have them. Surviving famous examples of multiple language version films uh, include Anna Christie, starring Greta Garbo, The Blue Angel, starring Marlena Dietrich, M starring Peter Lorre, uh, The Three Penny Opera, Vampire, and uh, Dracula. Okay. By 1935, the process of making MLVs had been abandoned. Primarily, it was because improvements in both sound equipment and optical printing made dubbing and subtitling far more economic options than reshooting an entire movie. But secondly, the occupation of Europe by nationalist, Nazi, and fascist forces across Spain, Germany, Italy, and eventually France and much of mainland Europe with the outbreak of World War II cut off the foreign market that Hollywood had targeted with these versions, uh, making them kind of unnecessary. Mm. Dracula's Spanish version was shot at night on the same sets as the English version, uh, but with a Spanish-speaking cast. So as far as we know, they could have all have been vampires. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this version of the film <laughs> was directed by George Melford, who was a veteran director of film since 1911, and whose biggest hit had been 1921's The Sheik, which had made Rudolph Valentino an international sex symbol. Melford actually didn't speak Spanish, uh, so he had to communicate with cast and crew by means of an on-set translator. Okay. Melford would continue to direct film until his retirement in 1946, uh, after which he would continue to act as a character actor until his death in 1961. Melford and his Spanish crew would come in the evening, and then they would watch uh, the rushes of what Browning's English crew had shot during the day. What are rushes for our audience? Sure. So they're called that because you're taking what has been shot during the day and you're sort of rush developing it so that the crew can look at it the next day or in the evening to kind of get a sense of like what they shot and figure out what, you know, what was the good and bad takes and that sort of thing. Uh, they're also known as dailies for the same reason, that they're usually, the, the turnaround is a day. They would rush developing the film? Yeah. So would they have like a separate reel of film that would be copied from that, that would be like developed um, with more care, perhaps, for like a good version? Or are these rushes or dailies what they would actually use to edit into the final film. I don't think the idea would be that they, they are rushing it because they're rushing the development process. Development takes as long as development takes. They're rushes because you're getting it developed the same day, and you're able to do that because you're a big Hollywood studio with your own development lab on site. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah so the Spanish crew would watch the rushes of what the English crew had shot during the day, mm -hmm. um, and then they would try to top what the day shift had done. The only member of the Spanish cast who got to watch these dailies was Carlos Villarías, who was the star, uh, and he was encouraged to imitate Bela Lugosi. Uh, Lupita Tavar played Ava, the Spanish version of Mina. Uh, she had already appeared in the Spanish version of The Cat Creeps, which had also been directed by George Melford. She was 20 years old when she appeared in Dracula's Spanish-language version, which was produced by Paul Koner, who was her lover at the time and would be her husband in two years. 
The Spanish version of Dracula had been assumed lost, along with many other MLVs, uh, until the 1970s when a print was discovered. It has since developed this reputation for being superior to the English-language <laughs> Bela Lugosi version. That sounds like some hipster shit. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of always been my feeling, that it's like, oh, well, we've had, like, the Bela Lugosi version is so famous and so iconic in culture that, like, finding this alternate version that's, like, been lost or whatever, it's like, oh, this is the good version. Yeah. Uh, but the common refrain is that the Spanish-language version is livelier, with uh, greater conviction and fervor in the performances. It's more energetic uh, because they got to kind of watch what the English crew did and then top it, the shots and the editing and the compositions are all, like, superior. Under this theory, the English version is, like, slow-paced and subdued and thus kind of dull and boring, whereas the Spanish version is, like, lively and energetic and thus, like, exciting and superior. (laughs) Okay. It's too bad that the MLV of the cat creeps didn't survive, because, like, I I would have loved to have seen, like, any version of that. Yeah. Most MLVs, like, just were considered to kind of be, like, trash. Like, you sent it off to that country and then whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, The ones that have survived are pretty interesting, um, where you can kind of directly compare, especially because a lot of the ones that have survived have, like, at least one or two of the same actors. Dracula doesn't, though. Uh, It's... Pretty much almost an entirely different movie, but a lot of um, shots from the English version are used again if they're, like, wide shots or special effects shots, uh, which makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Uh, So how are we watching this? Well, if you're just streaming, I think you're out of luck. I don't think the Spanish version is streaming anywhere. But if you own Dracula on any home video version that's been put out in the last, I think... 20 years, maybe. Um, you're <laughs> since in... they discovered it? Yeah, not since they discovered it. Okay. Uh, but since DVD. Um, Fair, but I mean, like, okay, cool. Uh, I think if you, you've got Dracula on home video in any format since they started putting Dracula on DVD, you'll find that Universal has included the Spanish-language version as a bonus feature. It's often a special feature on any home video releases of the original Dracula. So that's how we're watching it. Yes, uh, we're watching it as part of the Dracula Legacy Collection that includes the Bela Lugosi version, the Spanish-language version, and all of the other Universal Studios (laughs) Dracula sequels. Cool. Well, then I'll I'll forego my spiel about our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com, and we'll just jump right into the intermission, and we will be back right after this musical break. All right, we'll see you on the other side, Creatures of the Night, with our discussion of the Spanish-language version of Dracula. What, is it, is its name any different, or? It's, it's just Dracula. Yeah, I I think it's (laughs) just. That didn't sound Spanish at all. No, it's, yeah, it's just Dracula. (laughs) Okay, cool. Yeah. Welcome back to Scream Scene. We just finished watching the Spanish-language version of 1931's Dracula. I think this is the first film that's spoopy? That's not trying to be a comedy? You might be right. (laughs) I want to find whatever critic, you know, in the 1970s when they first rediscovered the print of this, decided in their infinite hipster wisdom that this was superior to Browning's version and started this myth that I see propagate everywhere to this day that, like, Browning's version is, like, dull and, like, stage-bound and, you know, really creaky and doesn't work as a movie and that, like, this one is, like, so much more energetic and full of life. I can see where that opinion's coming from, but but it's only, like, half right. It's funny that you say these critics are saying that Browning's film is more creaky because every single door in this movie <laughs> creaks. creaks for like a good 20 seconds. Oh yeah, for sure. So I'm, 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 before we dive into the discussion, I'm going to get a very quick plot summary out of the way, okay? Go for it. Sure. It I, should be said 
that this movie is apparently 19 minutes longer yes. than Browning's. Yes. Uh, but they don't really add anything. No, no, that's right. There's a little bit here and there of, like, extra dialogue and extra moments, but it's sort of like if you've ever checked out the deleted scene section on a DVD and found that it was mostly just, like, slightly longer versions of existing scenes where they, like, cut a few lines of dialogue here and there. That's kind of what it is. Yeah. The plot's identical to the 1931 Dracula. It's the same scenes, mostly the same dialogue. So if you're familiar with that version, you're familiar with this one. But in very quick terms, Renfield is a solicitor who goes to Transylvania to make a deal with Count Dracula about Dracula coming and uh, taking over Carfax Abbey, uh, a kind of crumbling estate in England. In the process of doing so, Dracula turns Renfield into kind of a um, thrall, <laughs> uh, a minion. It is worth saying that a difference between this and the English version is in the English version, Dracula himself is the one who turns Renfield after shooing away his brides, while as in this version, it is the brides themselves who do the deed, uh, which... Kind of makes it a little closer to the novel. Yeah, also removes the one bit of same-gender vampire violence. They take a boat to England. Everyone on the boat dies. Renfield gets put in a sanitarium run by Dr. Seward. The sanitarium is neighboring to Carfax Abbey, so Dracula introduces himself to the social group of Seward, his daughter Ava, her fiancé Juan, and their best friend uh, Lucia, who Dracula promptly murders and eventually turns into a vampire, and then she eventually gets staked, and then he kind of turns his attentions to Ava. Uh, the rest of the movie is about Seward and Professor Van Helsing and Juan trying to prevent Ava from becoming a vampire, fighting around with uh, Dracula and Renfield. Eventually, Dracula takes Ava back to Carfax Abbey, kills Renfield, and then gets confronted by Van Helsing and Juan in the crypts below the abbey uh, and gets staked by Van Helsing, uh, rescuing Ava, the end. Um, some of the differences, like Ben mentioned the one with Renfield, like who turns Renfield, before Van Helsing and Harker are heading off to Carfax Abbey to go look for Dracula. They're walking out of the park. You hear a woman scream, and then they kind of walk out, and they talk about having just staked Lucy. Yeah, in the English version, it's a little unclear what happens to Lucy. That's It's kind of left open. Like, Van Helsing says he's going to take care of it, but we never really get, like, a, a definitive closure on it. Exactly. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting to note is we had talked about how the maid faints mm. and Renfield is like crawling on the ground towards her and then we cut away and we don't really see what the outcome of that is. Yeah. In the Spanish version, Renfield approaches and then it looks like he was trying to catch a fly that had landed on her face. There's an implication in the English version that Renfield actually attacks this maid mm -hmm. and turns her because there's a moment uh, in the English version we see him approach her and then it fades away, which is the English version like code for a vampire attack. Uh, one of the things in this version is we actually get to see some bites actually mm -hmm. happen on screen. Uh, in the English version, there's this kind of implication that he's attacked her, and then later in the film, she and Martin, the... Uh, Aid? Aid of the... I was going to say, like, janitor, groundskeeper, like... <laughs> no, he, he's, like, helping with the patients. Yeah, he's some sort of aide at the sanitarium. This maid and Martin are having a conversation where Martin says that he thinks everyone at the sanitarium is crazy except for himself and this maid, but sometimes he has his doubts about her. In the English version, she goes, yes, and agrees with him, and he gets freaked out and backs away, implying that, like, she's been turned. In this version, he says that same thing, and she just is like, ugh, and, like, swats him away, like, all insulted, and then walks away. It's much more of a, like, a comedy moment. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, otherwise, it's the same movie. I guess the, the other thing is this movie explains... At the very end, uh, after Dracula's been staked, why Van Helsing stays behind. Oh, yeah. We had talked about that in the English version as being weird. In this version, he explicitly says that he's staying behind to save Renfield's soul. So he's going to presumably, like, stake Renfield as well or whatever. Yeah, or do, like, last rites or whatever. Because Renfield isn't, like, full, right? Yeah, yeah, he never drank Dracula's blood. That's about it. So the differences in this version come from performance of the actors, uh, a, a little bit of differences in scripting, shot differences, composition and framing, uh, and editing. Yeah. Editing differences. Like, 
which for some reason I, I was really surprised about. But of course they wouldn't copy the editing. They wouldn't have known what the how... editing was going to be. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting because it's not just about the lengths of certain scenes, but like the orders of scenes are different. There are also times where scenes are intercut in a way that they aren't normally. Like in the English version, Dracula and Van Helsing have this really intense confrontation that's one sustained scene. And then Mm -hmm. we cut away after it's over to something else. In this version, that confrontation seems to go on much longer because it's intercut with like a long dialogue scene between Ava and Juan, implying that like Van Helsing and Dracula were down there talking for like 20 minutes. That kind of stuff, which really throws off the rhythm if you're super used to the English version, the way this one kind of plays out slightly differently. Well, like, there's that, but also this movie itself has pacing problems Mm -hmm. with the scenes going on for too long and with dialogue delivery being too long, like, too, um, what what would be the word for it? Slow. Slow. Like, I don't know if it's just a difference between acting styles, between English actors and Spanish actors at the time, but, like, the fact that Browning's version has the reputation as being the slower-paced one boggles my mind, because the way that dialogue's delivered in this film... There are these giant gaps between lines of dialogue, between people speaking. Like, someone will deliver a line. (laughs) And then someone will reply to that line. Yeah. There's just these big gaps. I really noticed it when Ava is talking to Lucia after meeting Dracula at the opera or whatever. Mm -hmm. They're talking in front of Lucia's mirror, Mm -hmm. and Ava says, like, is admiring as... Lucia brushes her hair and just, like, sits there. Mm-hmm. And then says, well, I'll leave you, Countess. And then proceeds to, like, stand up from the bed. Then delivers her next line. Mm-hmm. Walks to the doorway. Then says, "Good night." Like, it was just, like... Yeah. The people themselves are taking too long to yeah. deliver things. Not just the interplay between actors. Yeah, absolutely. There's these big gaps and pauses, and, like, this movie, this version also shows you, like, people, you know, entering, like, entering rooms, walking over, then delivering their lines. Like, the movie's 20 minutes longer, but it's all the same scenes. They're just all paced much slower. Mm -hmm. I was really trying to not get bored because I was worried that the reason I was feeling bored is because there was no music. Mm, um, sure. Yeah. And I mean, like, there, there is an argument to be made that Philip Glass's score is partly what makes Dracula so good, like the English Dracula. Right, like if you watch it without that score. But even without that score, like, the English language Dracula is still 20 minutes shorter. Yeah. Those things are still happening faster. And the thing I notice about the English language version is the faster pace helps build suspense and intensity to a climax. Mm -hmm. This movie kind of just stays at this monotone level of excitement kind of all the way through. It never successfully builds to anything. Yeah. Because, like, another example would be in the English language version, we'd see Dracula outside a window. And we'd see Mina's maid catch his eye. And then we'd cut to something else for a little bit. And we'd come back, and Dracula would be entering the room of Mina. And we'd understand that what had happened is he has hypnotized this maid. In this version, like, we see them have a conversation. We see Dracula give her the instructions. Like, everything gets played out more. The the number one thing I would say about this version that struck me is this is like watching Browning's Dracula with caps lock on, bolded, and italicized. Because there's none of the subtlety. Mm. everything in this movie is made crystal clear. You know, there's, there'll even be additional dialogue to make sure that you get the point of what people are saying. Nothing is left up to interpretation. Everything is very specifically told to you, very specifically shown to you. In the English version, Renfield spots a spider in Dracula's castle. And Dracula says, A spider spinning his web for the unvary fly. The blood is the life, Mr. Renfield. And in the Spanish version, there's like eight more lines of dialogue about how like all creatures need food to survive. Like everything <laughs> needs to eat blood. Like blah, 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 blah. Like, the circle do of you, life. Do you get the point? And there's tons of stuff like that where stuff is hammered home much more forcefully. Mm-hmm. And I think where people are coming from 
in this idea that the Spanish version is like more intense or more energetic or whatever is because that is how the performances are delivered. Like, despite all the pauses, when someone actually does say something or do an action, it's like cranked up to 11 from whatever happens in the English version. Yeah, whereas like the only times that you really see that kind of intense acting, I guess, or behavior is when like Dracula is reacting to the mirror, uh, Renfield's reacting to the wolfsbane, Mina goes to bite dude's neck. And even then, like, these versions are, are cranked up to 11. Like, the, the mirror one's such a great example where Van Helsing gets Dracula to kind of come over and check out this mirror, and he opens the box, and Dracula, like, immediately swats it out of his hand and kind of step, takes a step back. And in this version, he shows him the mirror, and Dracula like, looks down and, like, sees it, and his eyes go wide, and he looks around the room, and he takes a step back, and he pulls out his cane, and then he just smashes the mirror with his cane, and it explodes into a million pieces in the room. Like, everything is cranked up to 11. So I can see why that gives the impression of this energetic film. But to me, it just sort of feels like you've lost all of the subtlety. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you've also lost a lot of the texture. Like, I know there's all these stories about, like, oh, the Spanish crew, like, watched the English rushes, and then they tried to one-up them, but the cinematography is not as good as the English version. It's much more bland and pedestrian. There's a lot more moving camera and, like, attempts at neat shots, but, like, there's also a lot of shots where the camera's just way far back from everybody, and the people talking are all facing away from camera towards each other in, like, a semicircle, When Ava, in this version, is giving her speech to Juan and talking to him, she's supposed to be becoming kind of vampiric at this point. And Juan's like, oh, you're looking at me so strangely. Lupita Tavar does not act out that scene the way that Helen Chandler does. Like, Helen Chandler has this hungry look in her eyes. And we just get this close-up on her of this hungry look in her eyes as she comes closer and closer to camera while John's talking Mm off-camera. And in this version... She's just like, we see the two of them in like a medium wide shot with her arms around him and she's just kind of happily talking to him. Like they don't quite, there are times where it feels like the Spanish version either doesn't get the point of what was happening in the English version or if they do get the point, they feel like they have to like underline it five times. I was also thinking about when we were watching this movie, how uh, you were talking about the insane lines that the actress playing Mina had to deliver. Mm-hmm. Like, I was commencing to get drowsy mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, part of it is the translation that we saw, so I don't know if uh, the actress playing Ava had to deliver similar lines and our subtitles were just, like, paraphrasing. Right. But the delivery was completely different. I don't want to say the actress playing Ava isn't good, mm-hmm. But we made a big point about the in the previous episode that the actress playing Mina, if it was a lesser actress, it would not have been such a good performance or delivery yeah. of those lines. And I think we can really see that in Ava's, yeah, like monotone performance a little bit. Yeah, she doesn't quite seem like she knows exactly what she's supposed to do in a lot of scenes. Like, mm-hmm. it's not a part that she's suited for. Like, the scenes where she's she's supposed to kind of be more vampiric she's just playing is like oh i feel better because that's the line is that she's saying i feel better and instead of playing that as like oh like i feel much better now it's like oh yeah i feel better now like everything's great took some buckley's yeah like she's 20 mm-hmm. in this whereas helen chandler was i think you said it was like close to the end of her career like she'd already done like a lot of stuff it wasn't close to the end of her career, but she'd been acting since she was 11, like, on stage on Broadway. So she was definitely, like, more experienced yes. with acting. So I think that really shows. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, another... <sighs> Poor Carlos Villarreal, like, he's just not Bella Lugosi. No, he's trying, but it comes off as comical... Like, if you had to play charades and yeah. you had to, like, be like, no, I'm Bella Lugosi, specifically. Yeah. Like, that's what it feels like, and it it doesn't really work. I think that's why y- you, you know, said this movie has a spoopy feel, is because, like, the performances feel like parodies at times, unintentionally. Yeah. He just doesn't have the gravitas that Bela Lugosi has. Same with, like, a lot of the actors, like, the guy playing Van Helsing in this version doesn't have the gravitas of Edward Van Sloan. I wonder if the guy playing Dracula in the Spanish version, if he had been allowed to do something other than, like, because he was specifically told, be like Bella. Yeah. If he had been allowed to kind of do his own take, 
I would have been probably more interested in this. But then again, they're trying to do, like... They're not trying to make their own movie, right? Like, yes. they are, but they aren't. Yeah. It's it's a slower film. Like, it is a slower-paced film. They really take their time with each moment. Like, each line of dialogue gets to be its own moment in this movie. Like, when I talk about subtlety versus the kind of broader performances in this version, one thing that really sticks out to me is Renfield. Mm-hmm. Dwight Fry, we, we went on and on last week about the layers of his performance. And to me, like, the perfect encapsulation of this is just the difference in Renfield's laugh. Yeah. That Dwight Fry gives Renfield this laugh that goes, um... <laughs> oh, please stop. No. Um, it's so creepy. It's, it's just this really, like, yeah, creepy laugh. The guy in this one just gives it a maniacal laughter. It's just a standard kind of, like, <laughs> yeah. kind of thing, which is just, like, a very standard maniacal laugh. Like, his laughter, the only time that that really worked for me was when they were on the ship. Mm-hmm. And he, you see, you look through, like, the ship's pothole, and, like, you see him laughing, and it was just, like actually terrifying. Yeah, I think I think weirdly enough the ship sequence is the one scene where I can point to be like this is better. Yeah. than the English version. But so many other sequences just aren't just like straight up aren't like the Renfield speech about rats doesn't work. His um, reaction to like Dracula? Yeah. Never heard the name. Yeah. Like this guy straight up like Dracula. Never heard of him. Whereas Dwight Fry has such like an intense emotion, like trying to calm himself or something. Yeah, uh, the con- one of my favorite scenes in Dracula, the the confrontation between Van Helsing and Dracula, is just just falls a hundred percent flat in this yeah. one. The the ending they botch because we as the audience know that Ava is fine before the characters do. Yes, I was going to say. That, like, we see a lot more of the staking. Yeah. And the sounds are a lot louder, like the groans and yeah. stuff. But I don't know if that's because of, like, them having to find the English version and, like, put that back in later after it was being restored or whatever. But, but yeah, other than the louder groans and thuds, uh, nothing else yeah, about the ending was good. Because the, the ending in the English version, you see Dracula uh, carry Mina into the crypts, and we stay with... Parker and Van Helsing as they enter in and they find the two boxes and they open one and go, oh shit, it's Dracula. And they assume Mina's in the other. And it isn't till later that they figure out that Mina's actually alive. So there's a moment of suspense there. In this version, like, we see Dracula carry Ava in, put her down, see the sun, be like, oh shit, I don't have time, leave her, get into his thing. So, so the suspense there's kind of botched. It's just kind of upsetting. Like, you're just watching this movie do all these scenes that you really like from some other movie and not do them as well. Yeah. Really not having Carl Freund as the cinematographer really hurts this one because it doesn't have the same kind of high contrast blacks and whites that like the English language version does. I'm thinking of all the shots in the English language one where Dracula is practically like a silhouette. Mm-hmm. And here everything's lit crystal clear, like technically well, but it lacks that texture. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, like, I I remember when we were in the castle, and in the Spanish version, like, you still see, like, the spider move up the wall. That shot of the spider moving up the wall, that is, like, crystal clear, Mm -hmm. Um, which was appreciated. It's like, cool, I can actually see what's going on here. But you were totally right that the texture, like, the mood setting, it's gone. The the flavor, I guess. Yeah, for sure. It's like, oh, cool, we're on the set of Adam's family. Yeah, yeah, like, everything's so technically well shot in terms of letting us see everything that it loses um, the dark and shadowy feel that Carl Freund brought to the film uh, in his his rendition. It just, like, gets tiresome. Like, I I was looking at the time, and, you know, the, the, the English version is 80 minute, like, it's 20 minutes shorter than this one. And I could feel it watching mm-hmm. this one. Like, I could feel when I reached 80 minutes into this one, I was like, we should be done by now. And there's still 20 minutes left. I remember when you told me that there was this was 20 minutes longer, I felt really excited because I thought, oh, cool, like, maybe we'll get to see Lu- some scenes with Lucy mm-hmm. as vampire. Mm-hmm. And we don't. No, and in fact, we see even less of her because the shot, the shot of her, like, walking through the park at night 
with like the moonlight through the yeah. trees is like even briefer and she's farther away from the camera and it's like harder to spot her like there's so many shots that aren't pulled off as well there's a lot of shots where you can tell oh they're trying to do something a little more new and interesting than the English one did but there's so many good shots that the English one pulls off that this one doesn't even come close to yeah I will say because it's I guess worth noting this film tries for special effects in a few places that the original doesn't, where in this one, instead of, you know, the casket starting to open and the camera goes away, and then we come back and bail us out of the casket, in this one we always see the casket open, a big poof of smoke, and then <laughs> when this poof of smoke fades away, there's Carlos Villarreal standing there. Yeah. So there's a few more attempts at, at special effects and things like that, a, a few more attempts at, like, visual panache, but uh, it just... This just lacks the power of Browning's version, and I, I really don't see what everyone else sees in this movie in terms of its intensity. And, and when it is intense, you know, when, when the actors are giving these big, over-the-top, energetic performances, I think it's kind of inappropriate to what... It's it's a little too over-the-top. Like, they're going too far, and it's it's such a weird comparison between the two versions where you have one where the timing between everything is really tight but the performances are a little more subdued mm. and subtle. And then you have this one where the performances are way more energetic and, and, and exaggerated, but the timing is so laid back that it ends up like stretching the movie out by 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's something about, you know, people talk about the subdued performances in the English version as if it's a bad thing, but we talked last episode about Dracula's about this continental force coming to England and the battle between buttoned-up, repressed English society and Dracula. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't really come across now because with the Spanish-speaking cast, you don't get that sense of these very subdued people. There's something lost in the translation of having these Spanish actors play these roles uh, and they don't change it to being set in Spain or anything, right? Like, it's still set in London. These are still in-the-fiction English characters. But something gets lost when we don't have... Because these are all Spanish actors. Like, the English one, where we have these American actors performing these, you know, uptight, stuck-up, button-up British people. Mm -hmm. And then Bela Lugosi, who's authentically Eastern European, Hungarian, coming in. And you can just feel what an outsider he is among them. And unfortunately, in doing the Spanish version, I feel like that culture clash is lost and that distinction of the difference between them and him is lost. And the performances of the Spanish cast don't get across that prim and proper repressed Victorian society. So on the DVD version of this that we have, it, it was introduced by the actress who plays Ava. Lupita Tavar. Lupita. And she explains how, like, one of the differences that she noticed when she first saw the English version was the wardrobe mm. that Helen Chandler had, like, kind of uh, stuff that would cover her chest and kind of go up to her neck, where she was wearing things that were quite revealing and as she puts it, uh, sexy, yeah. uh, which I was, like, appreciating. <laughs> Just, like, hearing an old woman talk so bluntly. Um, I wonder if that difference of wardrobe help, like, limits this feeling of, like, stuck-up Victorian people. And I, I totally agree about, like, this lack of the cultures clashing. And, and I felt that with Van Helsing as mm -hmm. well. Like You can see that, like, maybe there's an idea that because this was designed for Spanish-speaking audiences in Spanish-speaking countries that they wanted to present something that made more sense for that audience. Like Lupita Tavar having these low-cut dresses, like, where you can see a lot of side boob in this movie that you don't get in the English-language Dracula. Some of her dresses are pretty see-through. Yeah, or um, another difference I noticed is, like, her father, the character playing her father, has, like, way more immediate protective concern over her mm -hmm. um like he's the one who's kind of all over her making sure she's okay in a lot of scenes and and a few other things that felt a little more catholic just in terms of the emphasis on certain elements of the plot versus others and i i get like that's a good effort on their part but i do think that it ends up just losing some of what makes dracula dracula yeah so we talked about 
in the English Dracula episode that the fear is obviously like an other coming and invading your country, basically, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So with this loss of that cultural clash and all of that that we're talking about, is the fear the same? So I don't think so. Okay. And I'm a little reluctant to present my theory of what the fear is in this movie. Okay. So coming back to my feeling of how the structure of the story and the dialogue and the performances have subtly altered to present a more Latin America, Hispanic, Catholic perspective on the story. Watching this movie, the impression I got wasn't so much the fear of a foreigner coming and taking your women, but specifically just of a man coming and taking your virgin daughter. And maybe it's because Lupita Tavar also is much younger than Helen Chandler, but like I got the feeling that this version emphasizes her innocence mm. to quite a greater degree. Helen Chandler's Mina feels a little bit older, a little bit more adult. Ava feels young and innocent. The protectiveness of her father and, and the protectiveness of Juan and of Van Helsing feels more about protecting her innocence from this older gentleman. Uh, so it feels a little bit less about, like, it's uh, the same basic thing, right? You're protecting your women from someone who you don't want to get them. But the emphasis was less on a a race thing and more on just, like, she's super young and she can't, like, make her own decisions. We need to protect her from this older man coming and taking her and, think... and, and, and corrupting her. <laughs> I think that's a really good point. So there's, like, the scene where Ava's recounting her dream... The dream that happens when Dracula first comes to her and she gets the bites on her neck. Mm-hmm. So she's recounting this nightmare to Juan and like Van Helsing and Dr. Seward are kind of walking by. Like all the lines are the same, but the blocking is different. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point when like Van Helsing interrupts to be like, uh, to ask further questions about the dream in, yeah, in the English one, John runs over to Dr. Seward, who's kind of off to the side still, and, like, mentions kind of quietly, like, there's something she's not telling us, or, mm-hmm. like, something like that. Whereas here, they're all huddled around each other. Juan is holding on to Ava and says, like, she's frightened. There's something she's not telling us. But, like, she's right fucking there, dude. Yeah. Like, don't talk about someone as if they aren't even in the room. So I think that that... And the way that, like, she runs to her dad, and her it's her dad who tells her to calm down and show Van Helsing the marks on her neck. Mm-hmm. I think that scene encapsulates your argument here. Yeah, that was definitely the scene I was thinking of, like especially because of showing the marks on the neck. In this version, Seward like walks right up to her and get like gets like right up in there and like looks right at her neck and is like, "Oh, wow." In a way where Seward in the English one is a little bit more hands-off and I just get the sense that everyone's like a little older. Mm-hmm. In the English one, absolutely agreed. Yeah. So let's move on to ranking. For sure. We have the English Dracula at number two. Yes, very high. This is not competing with that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think I think we've established that we don't like this as as much. Uh, despite, I guess, the popular like critical opinion. Yeah, I don't know what those. It was the 70s. They, <laughs> <laughs> But, like, this has persisted. Like, this is yeah. the common critical consensus, and I just don't get it. Which is surprising, because if, like, there was one thing that I was like, maybe this is why, it's the Philip Glass score. Mm. But if, like, because I was, when, when did the score get created? Uh, the Philip Glass score came out in 1998. So that's, like, 20 years for people to see the Philip Glass score, see this version, and be like, yeah, we were incorrect. Yeah, for sure. Or at least have someone put the Philip Glass score to to Spanish Dracula (laughs) and, like, try to make more parallels that way. I think even when you see the two of them without music, it's just the fact that, like, the pacing on the English version is tighter. Yeah. And that's just my opinion. And the cinematography is still better, and all my points about people's acting performances still stand Mm-hmm. I don't think the music, like, makes a big difference. I think music would have helped me enjoy this version more, for sure, but I don't think it makes that big a difference in a versus. Okay. So, yeah, so where are we looking to put Spanish Dracula? All right, so the highest mm-hmm. that I would kind of compare it to, mm-hmm. because of the sort of spoopy nature, <laughs> sure, but also, like, that boat scene fucking terrifying me, 
Yeah. Like, I, I was really creeped out. Yeah. I'm thinking around the sealed room. It's around yep. um, 16-ish. Yeah. And probably the lowest I would put it. I was also thinking about the monster, which is around 22, 23. Okay. But, like, I don't know if that's fair. Probably a good compromise is around the unknown, which yeah, is around, like, 18, 19. That's sort of the range. I'm I'm looking in basically the same range as you. Yeah. Uh, my, my eyes immediately went to, like, my first instinct was to put it below the Bat Whispers and above the Sealed Room. That was my immediate first instinct. Okay. Uh, and then kind of looking down the list, I thought, well, you know, is it really better than the 1920 Jekyll and Hyde or better than the unknown? So I wasn't quite sure that maybe I could put it below the unknown above the 1912 Jekyll and Hyde. Like that's kind of the range I'm looking in though is like between 15 and 20. Yeah. What feels right? We have the Barrymore Jekyll and Hyde right there. And I, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like this should go below that Jekyll and Hyde. But I guess, like, above the unknown in that case. Okay. Um, I have one, like, thought experiment for you. Okay. Let's presume we've never seen the English-language Dracula. Let's, let's presume this is the only Dracula that we are have in our minds. Mm-hmm. If we don't have that English-language version to compare it to and we're just taking it as is, do you think it's better or worse than the Barrymore Jekyll and Hyde? Yeah, because they both had pacing problems, right? Yeah, the the Barrymore Jekyll and Hyde takes forever to do what it's doing in terms of getting the story started. Uh, this movie gets the story started nice and quick. It's really just overall everything's too slow. Um, but if we were to compare the the atmospherics and the cinematography and the the fear and the and all that stuff between those two, yeah, I feel like this would go above Jekyll and Hyde actually mm-hmm. because we had pointed to the scene when. Jekyll transforms into Hyde right. in front of Chick's dad mm-hmm. um, and then, like, kills him. And then we also have that very scary shot of him approaching the girl. I, I forget everyone's name, apparently. <laughs> um, just, like, kind of walking towards the camera with his hands outstretched. That that was, like, the scary scene in the movie. Yeah. There was, like, everything else in the movie was, like, a little tougher to get through. In the Spanish Dracula... In terms of, like, this, what scene gave me the most spooks, again, I have to point to the ship. Yeah. But, which is really too bad, because it's, like, the halfway point. It's it's earlier than that. I think it's, like, a third of the way. And, like, the time that you should be feeling scared, like, or at the very least most excited and enthralled, is, is the contest of wills between Van Helsing and Dracula. Yeah, which just does not work in this version at all. Partly because it's cut into two parts. Yeah, and, like, when we cut back to Ava and Juan conversation, like, Ava's just going on about, like, oh, the stars, I love the night, and, like, there's nothing added. Another weird thing about this movie is, like, they couldn't pull off the Lugosi eye lighting, or they don't even try. Yeah, it's just, like, an extreme close-up on his eyes. Yeah, an extreme close-up. Like, instead of putting the lights on his eyes, they just fill the frame with his eyes. It's very... It's trying to get the same thing across, though. And this kind of points to my thought earlier mm. about if if Carlos Villarreal had had a chance to do his own rather than copy Bella, mm. I think this would have been a bit better. Because mm. there's a point where, like, we have this close-up on his eyes and he's doing, like, the intense stare and his intense stare is, like, as if he just got out of Clockwork Orange and his eyes were peeled back. <laughs> um, but then, like, there's a point when he's, like, trying to convince Renfield of something and he squints, and he actually looks menacing when he does that. Mm-hmm. And I don't recall a similar feeling of menacing in that kind of shot from English Dracula. Yeah, it's it's the fact that, like, really, Bela Lugosi is the only one who can do Bela Lugosi. Yeah. Right? Back to ranking. <laughs> back to ranking. I think if, we, if we're willing to say that Spanish Dracula is scarier than Jekyll and Hyde just based on what scares it already picks up from just being a version of Dracula. Mm. I think then, like, it has to be better than the short Frankenstein and the sealed room. That's a good point, yeah. So I I really, my feeling, though, is that I don't think it stands up to the Bat Whispers. And I didn't really like the Bat Whispers, like, that much. Why do you feel like the Bat Whispers outcompetes? The Bat Whispers is, like, doing more interesting stuff um, in terms of, like, its visuals and its sound, for one thing. Right. Um, and then also, like, just 
the Bat Whispers doesn't have the pacing problems. Um, like, it, it keeps going along at, like, a pretty brisk pace. I mean, Bat Whispers and Spanish Dracula both have the problem of being near-exact duplicates of better movies on the list. <laughs> um, but I, And they both have creaking doors. They very creaking doors, long. yes, very true. But I think if I was given a choice, I would rather watch Bat Whispers again than Spanish Dracula. Cool. I'm happy with that. All right, so then entering the list at number 16, Dracula... From 1931, directed by George Melford. If you would like to see this list, you can visit our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. There you can also find our appeal box if you would like to contest this standing of <laughs> Spanish Dracula. I feel like like we're going to get some contesting because like we're just so against the grain on like the standard critical opinion on these two films. Yeah, if you disagree with us and and are of the opinion that Spanish Dracula is the better Dracula, please, I would love to hear from you because I, I, I want to know if I'm missing something. Yeah, like, don't just tell us that we're wrong. Like, let us know why. Like, yeah. I want to know what's your rationale because I'm just not seeing it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can find our appeal box on our website. If you don't want to do that, you can also email us at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com. Um, they can come talk to us on Twitter, at underscore Scream Scene. We update every Wednesday, and you can find us on iTunes, where you can leave us a review. And uh, please tell your friends, so we can spread the good word. Spread the scary word? Spread the scary cheer. <laughs> uh, yeah, so next week, we have another big, major, classic horror film. Because uh, next week's episode is going to be Frankenstein. Spanish Frankenstein? No, <laughs> no, just just normal old English Frankenstein. Oh, I'm so excited. I love this movie. From 1931, starring Boris Karloff and directed by James Whale. You forgot to mention someone else who stars in it. Oh, Colin Clive. Colin Clive. <laughs> oh, I have such a big crush on him. <laughs> We hope you'll join us uh, next week for that episode. Uh, we're very excited about it. Until then, we'll see you creatures of the night next week. Bye. Bye. My boyfriend, Colin Clive. <laughs> he doesn't know it, and I, he would not want me. No. No.